You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar. Happy New Year. This is our first episode of the new year, so I want to take a moment to wish you a happy new year. I hope you had a relaxing holiday, and I hope you've hit January firing on all cylinders and ready to go. And I wish you a tremendous, prosperous, and profitable 2018. With that, today's guest is Philip Eidson. Philip is a procurement executive. He's a consulting firm owner, and he's the host of a very popular podcast called The Art of Procurement. I asked Philip to come on the show today to talk about his transition from the corporate procurement executive life to starting his own procurement firm called Palambridge. But what's really interesting about Philip's story is how he started his firm. Before he'd really nailed down the business idea, Philip began with a podcast. He launched a podcast and went out and started interviewing his fellow procurement executives. And over time, he built an audience. But more importantly, he built relationships with key decision makers which he then used when it was time to launch his consulting offering. So there's a lot to learn here from Philip and Philip's story, not only about transitioning from the executive life to starting a consulting firm, but also how to use a podcast to trigger new relationships with your ideal clients. Show notes to this episode are at forecast.fm slash Eidson. That's forecast.fm slash I-D-E-S-O-N. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional service firms, you're going to want to check that out inside the course. I will walk you through a step-by-step -step process that you can use to generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Last thing, if you like the show, if you like what you hear, do me a favor. Go to your favorite podcast player, type in forecast marketing, subscribe there. While you're at it, leave us a rating and a review because it helps more people discover the show. With that, here is Philip Eidson. Phil, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome, Ahmad. It's a pleasure for me to, uh, to be joining you today. Listen, why don't you get us started by telling us a bit about your professional background? Yeah, so my background is in the profession of procurement, um, for better or worse, something that I, I really came into from university. I had no idea what procurement was when I started, honestly. Um, I joined a rotation program for a Ford Motor Company. And they just said, hey, why don't you take this position in procurement and we'll rotate you out. And um, I enjoyed it so much that I ended up staying. And I think that's actually a typical case for procurement people that I come into contact with. They don't necessarily um, knowingly join the profession, but then they really enjoy kind of the scope that it brings. Uh, and we end up staying there. And, and what, where did your career take you as a procurement professional? Yeah, it was. Um, so I joined Ford. I was buying direct material. So what that is, is essentially things that go into vehicles themselves. Um, left the direct side to go into what we call indirect procurement within the procurement space. So that's when you're buying things like corporate travel. I bought 
childcare services, really any service that helps a business operate. And in doing so, you know, allowed me to work with with large companies with in automotive, with pharmaceutical, um, consumer products, tech, financial services. I basically worked in a variety of different roles, which took me up to the head of procurement role, so head of departments. Um, doing so, I did that in the UK, I did it in the US, and actually spent some time as well working out in India. So it just gave me such a kind of opportunity to work internationally and to work across a number of really interesting different companies. And it got to a point where, um, you know, I was really interested in, I'd had all this experiences on the practitioner side. I was interested to go and look at uh, being a service provider. So I moved over onto the service provider side and started uh, providing procurement services and delivering procurement services within the outsourcing space to a variety of different clients for uh, a couple of companies that are, you know, pretty well-known companies. But I wanted to get that both sides of the table perspective. So I find the story of making the leap from, you know, corporate professional executive in your case to service provider, entrepreneur, independent consultant, whatever it may be. That's usually a pretty good story. Tell me a little (laughs) bit about what that transition was like. It was difficult. You know, I, I'd been on the service provider side for a little while and, um, I'd always, always harbored ambitions and dreams of being, um, in entrepreneurship, you know, of running my own company right from when I started at um, my first job and probably beforehand when I was at school. But I always saw that it was something that was too much risk. So I always waited and waited and waited, uh, thinking there'll be a time when there's a little bit less risk out in the future. You know, maybe I've built up a little bit of a more of a, um, um, a runway in terms of cash. And, you know, it got to the point where I realized that I can keep waiting for the rest of my life and the right time will probably never appear. You know, by this point, we had two small kids. We'd moved out to Southern California. You know, it's not cheap out here. Um, but I just thought, you know what? I got to do this. I got to give it a go and um, and start my own business. And so that's what I did. And it was scary, uh, intimidating. Um, I think it still is. It's not something that goes away. Definitely a roller coaster, however cliched that may be. Um, but I probably never enjoyed myself as much as I enjoy doing what I'm doing right now. Do, was, do you remember the moment or was there a particular moment when you realized that, you know what, I have to do this now. I can't wait anymore. Um, I think that I, there's probably a couple, for a couple of Thanksgiving dinners or around Thanksgiving, we had family members who came out to Southern California. The the majority of our family are either in the UK or in uh, Detroit and Michigan. And they came out and I remember really vividly sitting around the table talking about, you know, how's work going? What have you been doing? And from one year to the next, you know, I was still, I had the same perspective. I wasn't particularly enjoying what I was doing by the end, but I was still kind of talking about the same problems. And it just made me realize, you know what, if I don't do anything about it, I'm going to be talking about the same problems the year after and the year after and the year after. And it was just hearing myself realize that I got to get up and do something. That was kind of the impetus to start thinking and and put in place the chain of events, which then occurred that allowed me uh, or made that final decision, that final call to go and do something different. Yeah, it's funny. I think that's that's probably a pretty common scenario is, is those those moments of realization at, um, at you know, on family holidays. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you're surrounded by your loved ones and you don't really want to be there and, and the mind tends to wander. Right. Um, I know it was like um, 
I can't continue to keep sounding like a uh, a broken record if I want to go and do something about it. So, hey, let's go and do something about it. So tell me about the, the early days of when you kind of made that transition. And just for the sake of context, how long ago was this? That was, it's coming up on two years. So um, I think of it, so I, I basically handed in my notice in um, April of 2015. And I actually worked an extended handover period. So I, I was really on my own from September of 2015. So coming on a couple of years when we record, I think when this goes out, be two plus years. Okay. And, and what were those early days like? And what did you do immediately to kind of go out and drum up business? Um, I don't think I did anything. Maybe that was part of my problem. <laughs> was, um, I was I found it difficult to do anything in advance of going out on my own. Once I went out on my own, I think that I um, you know, started blogging, um, started reaching out to folks who I knew who I'd worked with in the past. But I wasn't overly aggressive in um, selling. Honestly, I hadn't really figured out what I wanted to be, only that I'd uh, I'd built a website and it was around uh, helping companies in a particular niche because I thought I needed to be niche rather than just say, hey, I can help everybody with procurement however they may need it. So it was around the niche of procurement outsourcing. But I think I was following more... um, build it and they will come. You know, one of those, I think, cardinal sins and, and mistakes that, that new entrepreneurs make. Uh, and that by by putting something out there and by talking about it would automatically mean people would find me. And what was your kind of intelligent guess on the niche? Um, so the niche was, I, I, I knew that procurement outsourcing was an area that more and more organizations were interested in. It's an area that I had some very specific expertise in. I bought procurement outsourcing services. I've delivered procurement outsourcing services. And I've actually, part of the role when I was in India, was managing um, operation centers related to it. So it's something that I had a really broad and pretty unique perspective on. So I thought, if there's any niche, then that's probably the niche where I want to start. Um, But I didn't really give it a great deal of consideration in terms of um, how am I actually going to turn that into clients? Um, and I think I was a little naive when I started in terms of how that would happen. Well, I mean, it sounds like your thought process in choosing the niche was perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you started blogging and you built a website and it, that was all yep. revolved around that one particular topic. Yeah. Yes, pretty much. It was my experiences, my guidance. I'd actually built a couple of, uh, productized services, um, within that niche as well. But what I wasn't as great at, I think, is just getting the message out and and actually finding people who were having those problems that they needed help with. So what happened in the end with that niche and that service offering? So I actually, around that time, set up a podcast and started getting so much traction with the podcast that I... Um, I stopped aggressively kind of pushing that niche that I'd built and and the business that I'd set out to build and started focusing on the pod itself and thinking, can I make the podcast into a business? Is this where the future lies? Because I'd suddenly found something that had a demand in terms of a listenership. I started to get to know, get, you know, build a community of folks who knew, liked and trusted me. Um, So then my outlook changed to trying to sell something that I thought was a good idea to 
building a community of people and understanding what their challenges were and then trying to build something that met their challenges. So I kind of transitioned from being that niche procurement outsourcing consultant to, okay, I have a little bit of runway here. Let's build this podcast and let's see who the people are that are attracted to that. Okay, so let's definitely dive a lot deeper into that. But before we do, why don't you give us a little bit of context on the name of the podcast and the topic that we cover? So it'd be no surprise, it's a procurement podcast. The name of the podcast is Art of Procurement. I started it about, um, it was November of 2015. So it'll be coming soon on a couple of years. And honestly, I started it because when when I was making the decision to go on my own, podcasts were a big big part of that kind of decision-making factor of what I listen to from from people in the marketing, business development, you know, kind of inspiration perspective. And I looked for procurement and there was just nothing in procurement. And so I just thought maybe there's an opportunity here to start a procurement podcast because uh, there's nothing that already exists. And the worst that can happen is that I get to interview a bunch of people who I look up to and I have a platform to do so. So it gives me an excuse to make some really great contacts. And if anybody else listens, then, you know, that's a bonus. So I'm curious, what what's some of the stuff that you were listening to when you decided to make the leap? Yeah, um, I think that um, I'm trying to go back to those days. Tropical MBA was definitely one that I would listen to every week. Um, the podcasts by, and it's funny, you know, how you kind of move on. Um, Amy Porterfield uh, has one about online business uh, marketing. Um, Chris, and I'm trying to think of what his surname is because I haven't listened to it in a little while. You know what? I'll have to let you know so you can put them in any show notes. But they were more general kind of business um, and building online communities and building your own podcast. Pat Flynn, I think, was one of them. Um, So a lot of the usual suspects, but it made me realize it kind of enlightened that, uh, that fire that I had to act on what had always been a passion, but it was something that maybe I didn't feel as though I had the confidence to go and do myself. And it was just having those in my ear convinced me that why can't I try and do this? Yeah, I mean, those are some those are some inspirational folks to listen to. So I'm not not surprised at all by that. When you went into the podcast and you started building this out. Yeah, it sounds like the idea was that the podcast in and of itself would become the new business model. Is that what you thought? I think I so as the podcast became more popular, then that's where my thinking um, evolved to. You know, that wasn't what I thought when I started. But I started realizing, you know, what a great medium this was to connect with people. Um, I started seeing the value that I was creating um, and the listenership that I was getting, you know, which was pretty high for a small procurement niche. Um, And when I say pretty high, you know, it's not like you're talking tens of thousands of, of listeners. But when I think of the number of people that go to a procurement conference that a lot of people pay a lot of money to get in front of those listeners, then, you know, it was some big numbers. So I started to think that there was an opportunity here to actually build the podcast into a business of itself, whether it's some kind of media company related to it, whether it's learning and development programs that would spin off some of the content that was created in the podcasts, you know, courses, the typical kind of online model, I guess. And so I did spend probably too long trying to figure out that, um, you know, is the is this a business or is this part of a funnel? And I think there was a period of time when I really stopped focusing on the procurement consulting side um, and saw this as an opportunity to build out a business around the art of procurement itself. Okay, so so tell me a little bit more about 
how you came to the conclusion that you drew as to whether or not this is a business of itself or or part of the funnel. What were the kind of milestones along that journey? Yeah, I think that some of it was, you know, trying to actually go and do the selling of um, advertising space, advertising inventory that I'd created, but also some brand extensions that I looked at at the time. I found that I was spending more time in trying to sell than I was continuing to invest in building a better product. And so that that said to me that um, not that this didn't have the potential, because I still really think that it does have the potential. And actually, I've had clients, you know, that I found because of the podcast, but that perhaps it needed a little bit more scale before it was really ready in terms of listenership, before it was really ready to try and take that next leap. And is that kind of where things stand right now in terms of your thinking? I think so. You know, at the moment, um, you know, as we've probably doubled um, maybe a little bit more from that point in time. So I definitely continue to see opportunity to do a lot with the podcast and the content and, you know, the brand that it's building and the community that's coming around it. So I think I'm in a a stronger position to do that. Um, You know, whether I do that or not, I'm not sure because I think it's something that I probably need some help uh, in doing it rather than being able to do it all on my own. But I think that as time evolves, the the business case to be able to do that with the art of procurement, you know, continues to increase. So I know you mentioned that you you know you pursued at some level advertising sponsorships. Yes. Was there any other you know monetization strategies that you pursued for the podcast? Um, yeah, I think um, and things that I've looked at doing around um, hosting webinars, for example. So my vertical um, webinars are big and um, they're sponsors you know it's attractive to potential sponsors of webinars or participants in webinars to obviously get in front of um different audiences so there's monetization that's available through that not in the traditional sense where you think of online marketing where it's all uh, a lot of it is referral and commission based but actually in um in sponsors paying to be a part of that webinar up front. So there's opportunities there. There's opportunities in learning learning and development. So I think about the show that I put together, I think this is right um, for most podcasts, is it's a series of dots. You know, you listen to each episode in isolation of each other, and you often forget some of the content that was shared or a lot of the content that was shared because when you're listening, you're often driving or you're working out or whatever it may be. You know, you haven't got a readily available way to really hold on to some of the great ideas you heard. And so I think there's an opportunity to pull all those dots together into something which is more meaningful behind some membership um, or subscription program that also offers you know, some learning programs or courses that are built around some of that content. And I still really think that there's a big opportunity there. It's actually um, just something that I haven't jumped on yet. Well, in the meantime, you've now kind of pivoted in terms of you've refocused on the service offering. I know the service offering now has a new face. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. And um, so one of the things that I realized, I said before about getting to know who the audience is, I was really surprised with how senior demographic um, listen to the podcast because people in the podcast, sorry, people in the procurement community recognized that this was a really good way for them to learn to validate new ways and strategies that they could be approaching perhaps what were all similar challenges. Um, and they just hadn't had the opportunity to really hear this kind of content on a consistent basis. So I had a lot of senior level listeners. Um, when I go back to my past 
as a uh, in procurement outsourcing, which I talked about at the beginning, um, I've always observed what I thought were opportunities to improve upon the accessibility of the expertise that you ultimately end up buying when you're buying outsourced services. Um, and when you think of outsourcing in this context, it's not really business process, you know, which is more tactical or transactional. It's uh, knowledge-based outsourcing or knowledge process outsourcing. So it's, it's expertise that you're essentially buying in. So I've long had a vision of what a different kind of delivery model could look like in that space. Um, honestly, back six, seven years, but never really had the ability, I don't think, to pull it off. One, because um, I don't think organizations were ready for something new in that space. But two, I didn't have the, um, the network to be able to pull it off. And so when I reflected on what I'd been able to build at the Art of Procurement, I saw I built a really great network. I've got a really great ecosystem of subject matter expertise that lives within a variety of different companies that now knows me through the podcast. I think we're at a time when organizations are more open to this idea of accessing expertise on a platform, you know, kind of the uh, the Airbnb or the Uber model, but for uh, um, subject matter expertise. So the market was more ready. And through the pod as well, I had a, a number of people that I'd interviewed that I'd been able to talk off mic about some of their challenges. So it just felt like all these different kind of factors coming together meant that this is probably a really good way of turning a podcast into you know, a real business, but a business that isn't necessarily directly related to the podcast in and of itself. I mean, it sounds to me like what you've done, and I want you to correct me if I'm understanding yeah. this properly or not, but I think what you've done is you've, you've created almost a medium through which your industry can communicate. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you're you're talking to procurement leaders. I know you've got some yeah. big guests on your shows, you know, CPOs, heads of procurement, director of procurements at some some pretty large companies. Um, and you're yeah. you're getting their their insights. You're also getting a sense of what their challenges are through the show, which is priceless data, right? But then you're also interviewing consultants and service providers that many of those uh, you know, procurement executives can 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 benefit from, and right. you're, you're kind of creating this conversation, and and you're the man in the middle making it all happen, you're, and you're getting mm -hmm. a lot of the authority and the credibility that comes with that. Yes, that that's absolutely. You know, the, one of the interesting things from some of the calls when I've um, you know been validating the model in the past that comes up a lot is trust. So uh, there's now this trust from listeners who have heard me talk. A lot about, you know, what I'm trying to do is elevate the role of the profession, you know, increase our impact. I'm providing value in, in terms of some of these conversations and I'm not asking for money in return. So that builds up a trust in and of itself um, while then applying that to both sides of the equation, essentially the CPOs on one side, but also the ecosystem on the other side. And I think it puts you in a really interesting position to connect them both and then layer on top of that my experience within procurement outsourcing means you know, I'm able to do that in a way that as the person in the middle, I can actually guarantee the performance of the ecosystem because I understand, you know, how to actually manage this ecosystem behind the scenes. Um, so it's those three different parts all coming together, which essentially form the Palom Bridge business, which we launched um, a couple of months ago. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really fascinating why and how you you settled on that business model because a podcast could, you know, what you're doing could conceivably fit into many different business models. But mm -hmm. I think that the combination of you know that network effect that you've created through the podcast, yeah, and now this 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 networked business model, um, it just it creates a lot of synergy and a lot of opportunities for you. So I think that's fascinating. 
I want to hear a little bit more about how you launched Palumbridge through the podcast. And I know that you're still kind of, you know, you're still going through the motions with that. And we've been talking yeah. about that back and forth, but yeah. I'd love to kind of dive in as much as you're willing to share, you know, how you've leveraged the podcast to build this new business model. Yeah, I think um, when I launched the business, um, you know, that, that it's purest form, I did a podcast on the business. Um, so that was just a way of immediately at least getting the name recognition and kind of the model in front of my listeners. Really what I wanted to do before we were even really ready to hit go on uh, being able to support clients was we wanted to get the idea of the concept and the brand uh, in front of people because it is a little bit different. So I wanted to socialize that first. Um, so that was one of the things just using the pod as a, uh, as a vehicle to tell the story. And that's something that I continue to look at, you know, in terms of some special editions or some bonus content or whatever to, to take listeners of the podcast on the journey of what it's like to actually build a startup in this in the procurement community. Because I think that's something that's really interesting that, you know, helps connect listeners with what I'm doing, but also just is it, it piques my interest as a listener. I think in procurement, we're interested in business generally. So it just seems like an interesting kind of synergy from a topic perspective. Um, but then, you know, there's the relationships that I'm able to make on the podcast. So, um, you know, talking about the um, the business model, doing development interviews with folks who have been guests of the show. So I can start talking about the challenges that I see and understanding them from their perspective. You know, am I am I on cloud nine in terms of what I think the, these challenges are, these problems are? Or, uh, or can practitioners, can chief procurement officers actually relate to them? Um, that's been so helpful, you know, talking through what we're trying to do, the way we're trying to do it, asking for people what they believe are our risks, our opportunities around that. You know, why wouldn't they buy? Why would they buy? Um, that's kind of priceless information. And it just informs what we do as we go to market. And really, I wouldn't have been able to do that without being able to build these relationships with some um you know, with CPOs that I really look up to that have been onto the show because we have that kind of personal connection. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's so powerful, right? Ideally, yeah. you know, you would have had a really strong business model that you were monetizing from day one, mm -hmm. uh, which would have been nice, I'm sure. Right. But, but this really sets you up for success because you, you've now invested so much in these relationships. And, and, you know, we all know the the power of reciprocity is is, is a really incredible thing, right? Yeah. You've offered value. You've engaged, engaged them in a conversation. They know you. So now when it comes to have um, you know, a conversation about a product or a solution, it doesn't feel like a sales conversation. It doesn't feel like I'm being right. pitched to. It feels like, you know, Phil, my friend, my colleague, someone that I appear, who I respect, is coming for a conversation. I'm going to take the yeah. call. Yeah. And that's how I want to position those conversations too, because, you know, f for, with all the best will in the world, the solution isn't for everybody. Uh, that may not be the right time for somebody. Uh, there's a whole confluence of other factors way out of my control that dictate whether somebody's ready for a solution like this or not. So I go into those conversations not thinking, I hope that I can sell something, but thinking, I'm going to get some really great insights out of this that are really going to help me in my positioning and identifying products to build. And if it ends up being a great fit or interest in terms of how we can help that person, then that's a bonus. And you know what? The truth is, I mean, I, my sincere hope is that everything does work out really well with Palumbridge, yeah. you know, beyond your wildest dreams. But yeah. the, the truth is, even if it doesn't, you still have all those relationships and those are right. worth their weight in gold.
yeah, and that's how I've looked at the investment. You know, it's it's taken me a, a little bit of a um, it's a non-linear journey to get from where I started to get to here, all building on each other and kind of taking some turns in the road along the way. When I look back at um, the cost and the opportunity cost of doing that, there's obviously um, it's it's not being cheap. But I, I've really seen this as investing in the relationships more than anything, because you know those relationships. Um, they're worth so much. And if today I have a product that, you know, I really hope that it does resonate with the market and, and the things, the conversations we've been having have been positive, but you can never really take those relationships away so long as you nurture them and be respectful. And I mean, just just think about how much harder it would have been if you didn't have those relationships. You probably right. still would have had the same idea for Palin Bridge. I know it's something that's been yeah. kind of, you know, brewing in your mind for a while, but yeah. getting those conversations would have been infinitely harder if you didn't have the credibility shield of the podcast oh absolutely it's been uh, absolutely you know the number one reason why i'm able to have some of the great conversations i've been having is because of the podcast either because i've got to know personally people that i'm having these conversations with or they have got to know me through the podcast and you know perhaps they've reached out to me over time for some advice based on a podcast and i've just helped them with a couple of line email that just builds so much again, trust and credibility that you're helping, you're not doing something that is just for the purpose of money that uh, I would never have been able to do if I was, you know, a random person, you know, reaching out with a cold email. I, I could never really even start to think about how I would build this from the ground up if I was in that position. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just fascinating. Um, and I love, you know, the reason why I was so excited about this interview, Phil, as we were talking offline is, you know, I, I love this idea of, podcast turned business. Um, right. You know, there aren't many people doing this yet. And that's partially why you've been so successful is because you were kind of early to the game. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think you're reaping the benefits. You know, I would really love to have you on the show probably, you know, sometime next year to hear yep. about all the huge deals you've been closing in the meantime. <laughs> um, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Yeah. Well, I think you're definitely on your way from what I can yeah. tell. So Phil, it's been a real pleasure. Tell folks where they can find you or look you up if they want to uh, connect with you online. Yeah, so the, the easiest way is is via LinkedIn. So um, if you just go on LinkedIn, um, pop in my name there, I'll be sure to connect with you. Um, send me a note, happy to connect that way. Um, the business, well, let me talk about the podcast. The podcast is at artofprocurement.com and uh, the business is palumbridge.com. But for anybody who's actually in the audience who uh, has some connection with procurement, not sure how many folks that would be feel free to check out those. But otherwise, you find me on LinkedIn. I'm always happy to uh, to hear from listeners. Great. And we're going to put all those all those links into the show notes of this episode. Perfect. Phil, thanks so much. This has been great. No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ahmad. Hey, it's Ahmed here again. Before I let you go, there are two things I want you to do. The first is, if you like what you hear, go ahead and subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Play by visiting forecast.fm and clicking on the relevant link. While you're at it, please do leave us a rating or a review because it helps more people discover the show. The second thing is I want you to grab my free course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms. Inside the course, you will get a step-by-step -step framework to help you generate a flood of new business for your firm. The course is 100% free of charge, and you can get immediate access at 5leadgen.com, and you can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.